from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. This is an event that is really showing African Americans in a positive light, which unfortunately doesn't happen so often in media. So this is us telling our own stories the way we want them to be told. We have to ask ourselves the question, the, like, what's the connection? Especially for non-opera goers, there has to be some sort of connection into what we're doing because it's, you know, opera isn't mainstream. It's not Broadway. It's not Hollywood. You know, Lion King can come through town. And people immediately are gonna, you know, jump to that because it's an easy connection there. They know the music. People are gonna go to the theaters because they know In the Heights and they have it on their Spotify. You know, for opera, it's not quite that. So we have to be really intentional about the stories that we're telling. I'm Sarah Fenske. Yesterday, President Joe Biden signed into law a bill that designates Juneteenth as a federal holiday. It's part of a growing movement to celebrate the day, which marks the first time some enslaved people in Texas learned they'd been emancipated more than a year after the end of the Civil War. But St. Louis wasn't waiting for President Biden's signature or the official holiday on Saturday. On Tuesday, locals gathered at the Missouri History Museum for a concert produced in conjunction with Opera Theater of St. Louis. That concert included some beautiful music, including What Makes a Man a Man from composer Terence Blanchard. What makes a man the man he is? Is it the flesh and bone inside, outside? Is it the skin he wears? And that is What Makes a Man a Man, sung by Markle Reed and composed by Terrence Blanchard. Now, our production assistant, Paolo Rodriguez, was at the History Museum for the concert. Others in attendance shared their feelings with her after the performance. I think it's really poignant in many ways that this concert happened at the Missouri History Museum, in some ways, it's another confluence of bringing together sort of the, the, the full story of American history. And so for it to take place in a, in a place or location that is traditionally viewed as displaying or documenting white history, this is a wonderful opportunity for the History Museum to embrace Black American history. I think that a lot of people have an idea of what opera is and who who performs opera, but I grew up in East St. Louis and my teachers were like beautiful opera singers, amazing sopranos, and they and that's that was my first introduction to, you know, black women being soprano singers and stuff like that. So, you know, I think that people don't always know that or see that because there's been so little so few resources and so few opportunities. I think for a lot of people, they don't understand the multi-dimensions of black history and black culture. And to only sort of frame black history and black culture from certain genres of music or art 
is very limiting and damaging in a lot of ways. And so this is an opportunity for people to fully understand the breadth and scope of Black American history and culture. And that was Keon Gilbert and Zanique Gardner-Perry talking to our production assistants, Paola Rodriguez. And joining us now for more on this event is Will Liverman. He was the co-curator of Tuesday's Juneteenth event at the Missouri History Museum. Will, welcome. Hi, how are you? So, so many Americans are finally paying attention to Juneteenth. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. about your history with this holiday. Was it something you celebrated growing up? Yeah, I mean, my dad, you know, was a history teacher um, and, you know, it was something that was always, you know, important for us um, as a family. And it's great that it's something that's, you know, now, you know, people are paying attention to um, and respecting as, you know, a real holiday and a cause for celebration. Feels like such a groundswell in America where everybody's now getting with this program. Are, mm-hmm. are you surprised that this is happening so many years after this happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is kind of surprising. But, you know, it's a step in the right direction. You know, it's a part of that change that we want to see. And it's all a gradual thing. So we're slowly getting there. So you were starring, you're an opera star. Um, you were in Highway One USA, the terrific production by Opera Theater of St. Louis this festival season. Mm-hmm. And you were you were starring in that in that opera when you took on the job of curating this concert. <laughs> and this was along with your co-star. Yeah. How did you two end up with that role? Um, yeah, we, we got the email from Andrew Jorgensen, who's the general director of Opera Theater of St. Louis. And he asked if we would curate... Uh, program for Juneteenth. And I was really excited by the idea because, you know, I think it's, you know, really important for us, you know, to to really have change in this industry, you know, for us artists to have a voice on the other side of the table. Because in addition, you know, you know, there are a lot of great opera singers, but there are a lot of great creative minds. And to have that opportunity to, to have a voice and to create something um, and figure out ways in which we can, you know, really engage our communities was really special. So, yeah. has the opera world in general, not just here in St. Louis, but mm-hmm. I know you've been with with many companies and done many performances. Has it been sufficiently open to black voices, to black composers? I would say not. You know, it's something. You know, it's an institution that was once designed to keep black people out. Um, and so, you know, the age-old question of like how we can change that and make it about inclusivity is, you know, what I think people have been really paying attention to, especially in light of, you know, the tragedy of George Floyd coupled with the pandemic. Um, it sparked a lot of, you know, conversations of racism in the country, but in the classical world, it sparked conversations of, you know, what can we really do to, you know, put action behind, you know, our words and, and to make it something, make this art form something for everybody. So what do you think needs to change in order to do that? Um, I think, you know, it's diversifying, you know, not just our cast um, and, you know, the people that we see on stage, but also on the other side of the table. Um, we need, you know, people of color in, in leadership positions to be in the room where it happens <laughs> from Hamilton. But it's very true, you know, we need uh, leadership and our, our creatives on the other side of the table, you know, uh, people, of color, uh, people of color uh, in roles of, of supporting the opera, um, I think is important. Um, so all of those things are, you know, how we can really make waves to, to create the change we want to see. And that all starts with getting young people outside that traditional audience hooked on opera. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And that's not always easy. It's, it's not. You know, it's, you know, the thing is, we have to ask ourselves the question, the, like, what's the connection, especially for non-opera goers, 
there has to be some sort of connection into what we're doing because it's, you know, opera isn't mainstream. It's not Broadway. It's not Hollywood. You know, Lion King can come through town and people immediately are going to, you know, jump to that because it's an easy connection there. They know the music. People are going to go to the theaters because they know In the Heights and they have it on their Spotify. You know, for opera, it's not quite that. So we have to be really intentional about the stories that we're telling and the why. And that's because, you know, we, you know, for our Juneteenth concert, we had such a diverse audience because, you know, we're celebrating black voices and there's black artists on stage. So therefore, you're going to get black people in the audience. You know, they have their why of, you know, of why they're going. And it's, you know, it's something we have to always be thinking about and engaging with. So that audience that was there on Tuesday, was that a different crowd than what you've seen a lot at, at Opera <laughs> Theater St. Louis this year? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, which was a special thing. Um, and I think the question is, you know, we do these big events. How do we take that audience and get them to go see Don Giovanni? Like, why is it important for people to know what Mozart had to say hundreds and hundreds of years ago? So I think that's the thing. And I think it's constant community engagement that will help, you know, get us there and, uh, you know, ask ourselves these questions. I'm curious to hear your story. Were you mm. raised in a home where opera was, was playing on the tape player, the CD <laughs> no, player? You're young. <laughs> not, at, not at all. No. Um, we, I grew up with a gospel background. Mm. Um, and so I didn't come into opera. And, well, actually, it's, my story is a little different because I was lucky enough where I went to the Governor School for the Arts, which is a high school program. And they had different disciplines like theater, jazz, um, and they had an opera program <laughs> that was, you know, and the way that they were really involved with their community, they would get, you know, fam you know, people of color like, hey, you know, if you have a kid who wants to sing, they could be a part of this, you know, program and we're teaching kids how to sing opera. And that's what I did for four years. I took my first voice lessons there. We did fully staged productions. And it was that experience that led me to want to perform. So is that the key? You got to get kids while they're young. Yeah. And sort of the opposite thing happened to me because I started off doing governor school in a place where opera is actually super diverse because there are a lot of other black kids, white, Asian, Latinx, and their different disciplines all coming together. You know, that's sort of like what we call this concert, I Dream a World. Like that is the dream realized, you know, not, um, you know, having people of, you know, no matter what the nationality or color coming together, um, just beautiful artists making art. And that's something that I, you know, was familiar with from the beginning. When I left high school, all of that kind of just went away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so th I think the key is like getting back to what that feeling was and, you know, having diverse audiences and just celebrating this beautiful art form. I'm together. thinking about Highway 1 USA, the show you did this year here in St. Louis. And this was a wonderful show. You were so good in it. Oh, I was thank just you. gushing. <laughs> um, but this had um, almost entirely a black cast or mm -hmm. all people yeah. of color, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a black composer. Mm -hmm. And yet, as I was there looking around at the audience, it still was largely white. It's, yeah. What can mm -hmm. we do to get the word out? Uh, this is an opera that is, is here for you. Yeah, right. I mean, that's just... I think more of just being really intentional of how we reach out to our audiences. You know, I think one of the things we've also learned from the pandemic um, when we're all just sitting around is ways in which we can make opera accessible, you know, digitally, you know, visual things. Um, all those things play a part. Um, and that those are the conversations we have to continue having and taking action to, like, really bring in um, people to, to see the shows. And so not just the show, but also events like this concert that Absolutely, you had on Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> um, we played some excerpts from this before, but I want to let people know this wasn't just opera music. This was also you had some spoken word. I want to play yeah. an excerpt from this. 
So when they tell me slavery was a long time ago, I remember the scars on my grandfather's hands, the emotion on his face. I fear his pain, his anguish, his agony every time I play. It makes a long time ago feel more like yesterday. When they tell me racism is no more, I remember our songs. Melodies passed down from plantations to picket lines. Down by the riverside, my grandfather thought he laid his burden down. Left cotton fields behind, and yet he marched. Wednesday, August 28th, 1963, the someday and we shall overcome still seemed so far away. Until the crowd heard of one man's dream, a dream that transcended time like our songs. It lives in our memory. And that is Juneteenth by Kaylin McCoy. It was part of the uh, Juneteenth concert that was held on Tuesday. That's such a powerful performance. And that's, and when Nicole and I were talking about this program, that's something, you know, in addition to making it, you know, around this narrative of celebrating black voices and black stories, uh, under that umbrella, we wanted something where we're, you know, celebrating like different types of, of, of music and different, you know, art forms like the spoken word and, you know, the instrumental piece that we did. Um, and I got to say, the spoken word was probably when you played that. I mean, it's just like those young kids were so powerful and pointed with their words. And it kind of really grounded the whole thing to make it really cohesive in that way. And it was just beautiful to witness it all. I imagine <laughs> looking at the bill for this concert, it was just hard to, to fit in everything you wanted to fit in. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that was, you know, that was a challenge because there's, there's so many great black composers and great stories that, you know, we could have told. But like it was, you know, that was the challenge of kind of narrowing it down because <laughs> otherwise the concert would have been like 12 hours and y'all would have like, oh, got to get out of here. <laughs> but, um, but I was really happy with what everyone did, you know, incredible artists. Um, and we came together and did something really special, and it was great to be a part of. A great way to finish my final week at OTSL. You are going so. out with a bang. Exactly. <laughs> and I, we actually we want to go out of this interview with a bang. There's mm-hmm. there's one really exciting thing that happened at this concert, and that is that you also had the world premiere of a piece of music. Yeah, yeah. How did this come together for this concert? Well, you know, I think it's always important, as we're always thinking about how we can diversify our audiences, we have to really be telling our own stories and, and commissioning new works, um, you know, giving people that are, you know, doing it out there a voice and giving them platforms. So that was kind of the, the reasoning behind having a world premiere and a, and a commission um, is to celebrate, you know, we're celebrating the, the, the composers of old, but also, you know, normali- normalizing the, the composers of now that are out there doing it and telling new stories, you know, and owning our own narrative. So... Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful piece. It's called Briefly on the Nature and Expediency of Promises. We're going to play a little bit as we go out of this conversation. But Will Liverman, I want to thank you for joining us today and for um, sharing of this summer in St. Louis curating this concert. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. And Will, again, was the star of Highway 1 USA at Opera Theater of St. Louis, the curator of Tuesday's Juneteenth event at the Missouri History Museum. And now let's listen to a brief selection from Briefly on the Nature and Expediency of Promises. I keep a pocket full of promises to carry with me.
St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.